Dive into the world of biomechanics and lever systems with the Kraken Backs podcast, where our guests, the dynamic Bailey brothers, Dr. David and Dr. Christopher, explore the bio lever system, the study of energy transfer from one body part to another through a joint, and is based on the human body's natural lever system. Learn how to unravel this unique approach to predict athletic outcomes prevent injuries, and accelerate healing, setting it apart from conventional healthcare methods. This unique analysis ensures thorough scientific evaluation that muscle groups can be completely isolated during activities such as strength training and greatly reduce the stress and trauma to a joint. As a result, injuries and surgeries are dramatically reduced and or eliminated. Get inspired by real-life success stories where the BioLever system has transformed health and improved quality of life. Tune into the Krakenbacks podcast for your dose of science, health, and innovation, and learn how to leverage your body's mechanics for peak performance and recovery. All right, so you know what? Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you guys on because I've known these two boys for quite a little a time. You've always made me laugh. You've always uh, inspired me. So I can't wait to talk about some of the stuff we're doing because I always say, in the, and we have two guy, guests on at the same time, and they always say two brains are better than one, except in my condition, in my situation with my partner, that's why he'll be doing most of the talking. Um, However, uh, I did. I did want to say thank you. Uh, I can't wait to talk about some of the concepts that that you guys are, have been working on for decades, and uh, kind of got my brain thinking about some stuff. So, welcome to the show, guys. Thank you very much, Jerry. Good to be here. Thank you, Jerry. So let's just kick this right off. And as chiropractors, we've always been told we had to adapt. You know, we have. Some chiropractors are six five, some they're barely four eleven, and yeah, we've always had to figure out how to make those adjustments when we have somebody walk in that's four foot one versus seven foot. So, and we've always been told about the lever system and how we have to to so we don't hurt ourselves making things work. But you guys took it to another twist, and you talk about training based off of length of bones and lever systems. So, where did all that start? Go ahead, Dave. It started uh, uh, in 1994. We were at a large fitness expo in San Francisco. I go walking past the booth, and I I said to myself, what is that? So I go talk to this gentleman. His name is Gerald. And I asked him, hey, what is this thing? Because it was a uh, weird-looking setup. He said, well, this is designed to measure your lever lengths and angles and determine where your advantage in training I said, I said, you got to be kidding me. So he measured me, and then he told me everything I could do well athletically and things I could not do well, and he was 90% accurate. And I said, this is mind-blowing. So I went and grabbed my brother, Dr. Chris. I said, Chris, you got to check this out. This is, this is off the freaking chart. So he did the same thing to my brother, measured him, told him everything he could do well uh, athletically, Things he could not do was 90% accurate, and we were hooked. Yeah, and then after that, uh, we had him come out, uh, Gerald Riley and his brother David Riley. They're the founders of this 
incredible science that they've been using for probably 35 years. And we were introduced to it again about 95, 94. So we got a unit, purchased a unit, got trained by them and started to understand that everybody is different. Long torso, short torso, wide shoulders, narrow shoulders, short femurs, long femurs, and how this applies. And, you know, Archimedes said years ago, he said, uh, give me the right lever and I can move the world. So the question then comes up, well, what if you don't have the right lever? And then athletically, we, we trained a lot of athletes like you guys. And, you know, you want to prevent injuries. So we had a linebacker come to us, and he, he, he never could quite squat. This is back in the 90s, late 90s. We biolevered, and he had a long torso, long femur. And just immediately, you could see the, the levers were not there that he could do a, a good squat, that that stress left the, the muscles of the lower back, went to the lower back joints. And he started to have some real issues. So we biolevered him. We changed some stuff. and. And so 25 years later, a couple of hundred, well, 25,000 profiles later, we've got a lot of information about how to break down an individual, an athlete, so that they can maximize their performance and minimize their injuries. That's kind of how it all started. So, well, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in and ask, you know, there, there were some things that I read up uh, that I was curious about you, if you could describe what structural strength zones are and how did you determine that? Very good. Okay, so everybody is measured from the central point, which is the sternal notch. And we're gonna take 10 measurements. We're gonna measure the length of the clavicle from the sternal notch, the height of the clavicle, the depth of the clavicle, we're going to then measure the elbow angle and elbow radius, your upper arm, lower arm, torso length, femur, and tibia. We sweep the lever arm and the resistant arm through their diameters, and we determine a point in space mathematically where they intersect, where the, where the energy leaves the muscle and goes to joint, causing cumulative microtrauma. And everybody is different. Uh, I've got a little chart here. This is a, you probably can't see it, but it's a chart of my wife. And you'll see a green zone and a red zone. If I can zip in a little bit. The red zone shows the energy now in joint tissue. The green zone shows energy in muscle tissue. And that is different for everybody. Every one of us are different. And um, I sent Terry a little clip of Michael Phelps, although I've never measured him if you Break him down, you can see he's got a tremendously high clavicle angle. He's got a very deep clavicle angle. So we know automatically that he's very advantaged in shoulder movements. Then he's got a long torso, which tells us that he's got great rotational power. Long femur, short tibia. So he's got tremendous ability in kicking. He was literally designed to swim. So that's kind of how we do that, Dave. Uh, Spencer, excuse me, Dr. Spencer. Uh, when when you get a chance, uh, we would love to have a, a an image, a clean image of that, so we could pop that on the screen while you're talking for the ones that are viewing on YouTube. Okay. Um, so 
Now, the green zones, well, how, how did you determine based on, you know, leverage, when does, when does the muscle have the most influence over the range of motion versus the joint? Like, where did that, where does that, I mean, that sounds like physics, but I wouldn't know. How is that determined per person? Dan, you want you? Yeah, that's, that's determined just on our anatomy. For instance, if somebody has a very shallow clavicle angle, they're not advantaged to bring the bar all the way down to the chest. So <clears throat> like Dr. Chris said, we're all built differently, and that's why a lot of the exercises that athletes do are actually causing them more problems than it is actually helping them. And so that's why we can take this information and make adjustments to the training protocol to help them so they're not traumatized in the weight room versus being traumatized in the field. A, a lot of athletes try to do what the coaches ask. And inevitably, so many suffer some, some cumulative microtrauma, especially to the low back is probably number one, shoulders number two, knee is number three. In, in, in our experience, but so you're going to measure the length of the humerus, which means you have landmarks yet you have, you have to identify. So we're going to identify about 10 landmarks in the body, which tells you got to know your anatomy. And, uh, and so sweeping their lever arm and the resistant arm mathematically on a graph form shows us, uh, Spencer, how you would be advantaged in movement. Okay. So, so I bet the functional movement screening approach makes you cringe because it's so it's pretty generic. Uh, FMS, what's that? It's pretty generic. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Because this is what you're talking about is very specific. A, a perfect, a perfect example, Dr. Spencer, is we had an all-American quarterback in in Northern California that had back surgery. And uh, we measured him, and his squat that literally was like seven inches. And they were making him go down to parallel, which is 15, 16 inches. And so we, we did the analysis. We wrote a letter and said, listen, based on this athlete's profile, he cannot squat to where you want him to squat. So they allowed the change, and he went on to have a phenomenal season instead of another back surgery. Yeah. So this is this is very powerful. You're learning to train your frame, okay? And uh, my my greatest injuries were in high school. Uh, we had a great college uh, high school coach. We'll call him Coach Tony. They tell that story. Tony Kim. Yeah, yeah. My 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 all star football coach in high school was a very well built gentleman. He played college football, and. Uh, he had heard that we had this um, piece of equipment because he had one of his shoulders replaced. So we measured him, and he literally uh, was 19 degrees to full extension, which means he had to stop 10 inches off his chest in the bench press. He had a very low clavicle angle. So as soon as his elbow went above that angle, it put stress on his shoulder. And we, we, uh, I went and trained him in the gym and completely tr uh, changed how he trained because he wanted to save his other shoulder. Yeah. 
So this is this is amazing information. It, it's not that an athlete can't train it a particular way. It's what's the cost reward mm -hmm. ratio, right? What and and again, in in the prevention aspect, you want to have these kids healthy later in life, 40, 50, 60, and avoid these problems. I'm 62, Dave's a little older, 64. You know, no shoulder surgery, no back, no knee, and yet so many people break down over time and they end up having a, a shoulder issue or a back issue. All right. I, I, got, I got a question, uh, actually two-part. You got you got the kids, you hear in college, especially the recruiters, are all they recruiting more on genetics now than they are on how good you are in high school because if you you can be the best outside hitter in volleyball, but if you're only 5'8", you, you, that you're you're pretty much done. Do you ever have uh, kids that you measure and they really want to go in this sport and you're looking at their measurements going, uh, you're never going to be really good in that sport. Have you ever thought this sport would be a different option? Have, or do you ever see recruiters down the road looking at this type of information to recruit? Well, great question. Yeah, it's a great question. Mike Boyle, who was a renowned strength coach, you know, uh, he's, he's mentioned it. Randy Huntington currently is the head track and field coach for China. Randy uh, has had 45 years. He's a, a master uh, uh, jump coach. Anyway, we've had a couple of lunches, and, and Randy feels like this should be part of every coach's analysis. Every coach, strength coach, conditioning coach, you, you, you get a set of eyeballs and an understanding that you didn't have before, Terry. That's a great question. Had a baseball pitcher. Uh, he had a lot of potential. Coach wanted him to throw overhand. He had a two-degree clavicle angle. He's going to have a three-quarter release out here. This, not good for him. Impingement issues, this he felt really good. Generated some more miles per hour. So, um, yeah, those are that's a profound question. And um, with our kids... Every time, so when you start measuring an athlete is when they start growing, let's say at about age 12. Each growth spurt, you reevaluate, okay, because their levers change. Once you're done growing, don't have to really have another measurement. So if you're an adult, it's one time only. If you're a child, a growth spurt, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna follow up. A perfect example, Dr. Terry, is uh, Dr. Chris was a phenomenal college baseball player. But they had him in the wrong position. He had a long femur, short tibia, and they had him catching. That was the worst position for his genetics he could be. He should have been a second baseman or third baseman. And, you know, no telling uh, how he would have uh, ended up. But, yes, we can use the information we get and say, listen, you're not, you're not suited for this position. You're much more suited for that position. We had a defensive back who had a short femur, long tibia. He played a corner. So these guys can't backpedal well. So what does he do? He naturally wants to turn his hip and be a sprinter because your spinners have short femurs, long tibias. So how you would attack that individual. In fact, Gerald and David were asked to do um, an analysis of a professional hockey team. They biolevered every athlete on this professional team, never having watched them play hockey before. And they could absolutely tell the coach which 
player played which position based on their anatomy and their structure. And they were forced to sign a waiver saying, please don't disclose this information because we would know how to attack this team based on that. So great question. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you should have been around when I was younger because, you know, I had the brain that said I can try anything and the body said, fuck you. And uh, so I would, you know, I try to do flips and I would come out halfway through and smash my body. So it's probably just because I was ge- genetically could not do a flip. So, you know, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. We're all different. Yeah. You know, interesting. There, uh, There's apparently some merit to this or a lot of merit to this because um, I remember uh, Coach Parcells would look at players in their positions and he would say, oh, yeah, he's going to be a good, you know, halfback or uh, running back, short arms, you know, short neck. And he would go through their dimensions. And I would think, wow, that's interesting how he already in his head instinctively profiled patients uh, and and, and, uh, patients, I mean, players' anatomy based on their position in football. And and (laughs) Dr. Spencer, that's a great point. They've been doing this for quite some time. But there never has been a system that you can reproduce with accuracy these angles and these measurements and then apply that to rehab, to performance, to prevention, um, and just daily lifestyle. Here's a perfect example, Dr. Spencer. Dr. Chris and I, um, back in the early 90s, we... We evaluated eight uh, BYU football players that were headed for the NFL Combine. Now, they were six months after their season, right? So they should have been healthy. We went through their uh, muscle testing of upper and lower extremities. They averaged five muscle weaknesses in their lower extremities and seven in their upper. None of these players uh, ended up getting drafted. My point is, why was their body so beaten down? It's because they were doing the training by the strength coaches, you know, the bench press, the squats, and all these exercises that a lot of them were not advantaged to do, and consequently their bodies were still beat up when they went into the NFL combine. So by making a little bit of changes here and there, it could have drastically changed that. I have a hypothetical, or really it's a it's a real clinical case that I have a question that when you're you're measuring uh, length of bones and you know their angles, and I'm wondering there 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 are some athletes, especially when the FMS thing was a hot hot item for F, uh, for strength and conditioning coaches because it gave them a recipe and they thought that recipe applied to everybody. So you know it made it a no brainer thing. But they took one of the players and they said, no, 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 you need to be squatting like this. Now, his feet would be positioned that you're looking at the bottom of feet, let's say, and his feet would be positioned like this. Now, would that be something that you would be able to identify as to why that was comfortable for him? But they made him do this and he ended up with hip injury (laughs) problems. Well, having been an assistant strength coach for a couple of years, and then I was on the board for three years uh, for the CSCCA. I think in general, a good squat position is feet shoulder width apart, toes slightly uh, externally rotated five to 10 degrees. 
allowing for that hip sink, that hip motion. Toes forward really is not a natural position for that squat procedure. Uh, some say, well, you can emphasize the quads more by doing that. You know, I, I don't know that. We know that uh, very few people have the mechanical leverage to do a squat below 90. Well, you know, actually what ended up happening with that particular athlete, and I think happens a little more often than we think, is there's such a phenomenon that, I mean, we're, we're like you guys said, you know, we're not the same from one side to the other. I mean, we're very asymmetrical, but we think we are symmetrical. Um, he had retroversion of the uh, femoral neck in the into the acetabulum. So, you know, his his retroversion and so that's why his his he had to angle his foot out to one side and then the other hip was normal yeah um are the would that be something that uh the bilever system could identify as well, to or I would an say x-ray probably simply an x-ray, x-ray would identify yeah. that. taking an x-ray looking at the the hip socket the joint the angles uh, bile lever is going to measure that femur length, tibia length, torso length. It's going to, in a movement, you want balance. So it's really going to determine a structural balance uh, range of motion for everybody. So and functionally, it will determine our squat depth and how far the athlete can bend forward before they get an energy transfer into the lumbosacral joint. So we're looking at squat depth and torso Deflection. We call it a torso deflection, but it's flexion of the torso forward, right? And sometimes you see people squatting and they're they're doing a back squat. Their torso is completely like this. And from a chiropractic point of view, you know when that happens, the nucleus is going to be thrown back. So really controlling that angle and squat depth based on your frame is I, I we find it invaluable. So you mentioned, uh, and I was really ready to toss the question out about deflection range and what that actually, what do you mean by that? And how does that apply to, let's say, a squat? Okay. Go ahead. So in measuring the torso and the femur, that's going to give you a, a, a range as to your ability of the torso to bend forward, backward, laterally bend right and left and rotate right and left okay so rotational athletes typically are very advantaged in a torsal deflection range which means they have great power all right baseball tennis golf guys we've had some professional golfers having lower back injuries in their analysis of these guys they were bending too far forward and in 18 holes a guy's hitting right to left 450 times. So what did we do? We lengthened their club. Yeah, that's what brought them to an upright position, took the stress off the low back. Okay? And, and there are some guys who, well, I'd say maybe 25% who are disadvantaged in that flexion movement, which means if you're under 30 degrees, you're really not advantaged in that particular movement. So in baseball, these are the guys that naturally hit balls to right, right field, right center. They're not going to be a pole hitter. Pole hitters have tremendous rotational. They've got good ratios, and and they're going to be very quick in that movement of rotation. 
Fascinating. So how we would train those athletes, Dr. Spencer, we would have them go through a nice full motion uh, if they're going to use the squat uh, with 50% less of their 1RM. They can go through a full range of motion. But as soon as they start loading that with higher than 50%, we stay in their advantage range of motion. So they get the neurological pattern and movement of a full range of motion. But say their squat depth is nine inches, we'll keep them in that nine inch range when they're doing heavier loads. And, and we might shift them. I had a college linebacker just recently that his dad called me up and he said, never been able to squat since high school. 6'2", 6'3", athlete, phenomenal, right? Always has back pain when squatting. So I bio-levered him. Long torso, long femur, not advantage in squat depth, in, in, in squatting in general. So what did I do? His squat depth was about 11 inches. I put him on a belt squat. So we put the resistance on the hip, took the back out of the equation, Boom, had a phenomenal year. And more importantly, did not irritate the back. Question. Then how is it, and maybe you can explain it, I don't know. Sometimes we'll, we'll put a patient uh, with a two by four under their heels and suddenly they have no pain and they can squat better. What's happening there? You're, you're giving their tibia two inches longer length. You're lengthening the tibia. So you're, you're creating a, either an even segment or a short long. So you're just giving them a two-inch longer tibia. You're changing that lever. And that's why people do it. And they love it. Put a little plate underneath. Gosh, I can sink down. I feel better. My torso's better. That's exactly. You're, you're lengthening the tibia. <laughs> that's so cool. That explained like 40 years worth of curiosity as to why that helps with some people and well, not with others. Docs, when we got bio-levered back in 96, 97, listen, David had a great understanding of anatomy, functional anatomy. I did. I was, uh, you know, we were both exercise science guys, and I was a strength coach at a college assistant for a couple of years. We thought we knew a little bit. And when we got bio-levered, it ruined our paradigm. I mean, it's just right. it's like, what? But it explained a lot of things. Yeah. And we started to make these changes. And it's like, it, it, was, it was like light bulbs went on and performance improved. So that was, that was really a great, great event back, back when that happened. What about, what about somebody who's been playing at a pro level for 12 or 13 years and... You're gonna you're gonna biolever them or measure. Let, let's take a pitcher for example. We just recently <coughs> uh, rehabbed one. Um, how how would you determine why all of a sudden you know maybe they would have a forearm injury uh, if they're a closer and it's like near the end of the of the or midway in that inning and they're having a, 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 like a continuous pain in the forearm. Where would you, I, I know this is, you know, arbitrary, but where, where, where would you look? How would you determine? And they've been playing ball for, I mean, professionally for 13 years. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, 
here's, you know, obviously being uh, in, in the chiropractic profession, you have to make sure neurologically they're sound, right? Cervical, thoracic, extremities. check the extremities, all the shoulder stuff, the elbow, the wrist. Uh, look at the lower extremities as well, because throwing is a lot, a lot lower body, if not all. And then you have to look at his training, injuries, see what's gone on with him, scar tissue, fibrosis of repair, make sure you're addressing that. And then from a training aspect, bio-lever him, you might change a release point, even though he's been doing it for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, stride length. You know, there's a, there's a couple of things that you might look at there. I had a professional NFL football player named Jason, All-American in college, played seven years in the NFL, a couple of Super Bowl rings. We bio-levered him, and he said this, I would have paid a million dollars to have had this information prior to, to all of this because he literally broke his body down, not on the field. In the weight room. In the weight room. Broke his body down in the weight room, shoulder, knee, back, and he just said, wow, wow, what, what, what this could have done for him. Jeez. Well, yeah, no, no better time than now. Uh, <laughs> Jeez. All right. So, by the way, uh, you nailed it by what you said when you said, look at the lower extremities because the pain here. Yeah. We pulled up video watching him on the mound in the most recent in the in last year's uh, games. And I, I was telling what me, my associate doctor, I go, you know what? Check his ankle range of motion and his toe strength yep. because, you know, everything's coming from there. And if Round that's up. weak, yeah, so you, you, you were absolutely right. Check lower extremities. And by the way, he was getting treated throughout the season for that. Wow. And I thought, man. So they kind of gave you the answer, you know, look somewhere else. Yeah. It's obviously that's the weak link, Correct, but yeah. it's coming from somewhere else. It's pretty cool. So now, okay, so we talked about deflection range, and that was interesting. That that Would you call that the – when you're referring to the green zone and the red zone, is, is that applicable where the deflection range – once again, yeah, the advantage and disadvantage range. Structural strength okay. zones, mechanical yeah. zones of leverage. There's different terms you could use, but you want to stay in the green and avoid the red. Yeah, okay. So now, would you tell somebody that wants to squat that you know that they have, what did you say, long torso, long tibia? Femur. Is that, no, Femur, femur, excuse me. Would you urge them to uh, squat only in a uh, like a like a quarter squat or a you know a half squat as we call it, or you know in their in that that green zone? Is that what? Great question. Dave will take this, Doctor Spencer. This is what I'd say: if he's not an athlete, if he's not a strong man or a competitive powerlifter, I wouldn't have him squat because. We know that 90% of the population cannot squat to parallel and stay in their advantage range of motion. So that's number one. If he is a college athlete or pro athlete and he has to squat, 
you, you have him warm up. Uh, he can go through a nice range of motion on his warm up. But as soon as he starts adding any type of load, then he has to stay in his advantage range of motion. Otherwise, he's going to cause microtrauma, subluxation, more microtrauma, and then that joint is ready to, for failure. So we want him to stay in that advantage range. And, and to add to that, my young son, Joseph, who's 17 now, when he was 13, I started to introduce the squat movement, right? You, you introduce movement patterning before you do load. So I analyzed Joseph. I bio-levered him. We looked at his ability to squat. He could front squat better than he could back squat. Okay, so what I did with Joseph, he could stay in his structural mechanical strength zone in a front squat, but he could not in a back squat. So I, I elevated the bench. We had him come down to a bench as a touch point, and we front squatted for a while, and then to get the back part of the squat, I did a goblet squat. So we held a kettlebell dumbbell here, taking that back flexion out of the equation so he could get that, and we maintained a 10, 11 inch squat depth. So you could both, you could hit the muscle groups involved. I just don't want to cause some trauma to a young spine, especially with a compressive load. So I, I'm more than excited to hear this uh, and these modifications and what we have typically thought, you know, everybody has to go full range with everything because. <laughs> Uh, many years ago, there was a, a concept in training called power factor training. I'm not sure if you ever heard of it, but there's a book on it. And it, is, it, it, was, it, it was popular, but, and I still do it to this day. And it, it is basically doing a, training in your strongest range. Now, that sounds very generic, but everybody knows where, they're, you know, where their strongest range is. And it could be from here to here instead of from here to here with, you know, bench or squat. And I'll tell you, you know, the, the whole concept is to go a little bit heavier with, with weight and you completely avoid injury by compromising, you know, a joint and bringing it full through its full range when, you know, not everybody has a bio lever system. So, right. it's a, we're, you know, looking at how, you know, to apply principles of training in that uh, – in that range that you guys approve of, depending on your, uh, your, you know, an analysis. What about, what would someone do though, if they can't get, I mean, I got to tell you, I've never heard of the biolever system. So how, how would somebody, um, that, uh, you know, evaluate themselves or how would a chiropractor help or, or a physical therapist or something by, if they don't have that system? Yeah. Well, I would just say a lot of guys in the process of trial and error over time do figure some things out, <laughs> right? Unfortunately, there might be some injuries involved. Um, but you could, for example, with a bench press in, in the thousands of profiles that we've done, literally 10% of people can literally bring a bar down to their chest. Most of us cannot. Okay, and you could start by looking at the depth of the clavicle. Just go to the sternal notch, find the AC joint, and then follow the clavicle back. 
There's a little point on the clavicle called the deltopectal triangle. It's where the clavicle goes deep to horizontal. And you can literally, um, the humerus will rotate to the angle of the clavicle. So the deeper the clavicle, the further his arm, the further back. my arm can go back. Typically, the larger the pec, and, and these guys are typically advantaged in that movement. They're a naturally strong bench presser. I, I'm working with collegiate athletes every week, 15 to 25. I had a guy come in the other day. I just looked at his depth angle. I said, man, you're a heavy bencher, aren't you? He goes, how'd you know? I had a, I had a lady come in. She was a swimmer. I just looked at her clavicle. I'd never seen her before. I figured, well, I had about 20 athletes around me. I said, let's see if I can guess her stroke. I got a 25% chance of maybe guessing something right. But I just looked at her clavicle angle, which is the clavicle to the AC joint, the sternal, the, the sternal notch to the AC joint. That on that angle. She was very low. I said, you're a breaststroker. She goes, how did you know that? I says, because freestyle and butterfly and back's got to have a high angle to do that. Otherwise, they're going to have impingement. And impingement is the number one injury for shoulders. For right? Swimmers. For swimmers. For swimmers, it's the number one injury. So you can start to just look at anatomy and get a ruler and protractor. Gerald Riley literally was the Arthur Jones of this. Gerald and David started this probably in the late 70s. He was an athletic trainer. His brother was an engineer. And they started this system of analyzing these people. We got certified from them. But he's like an Arthur Jones. I said, Gerald, he, he broke down an athlete that was just amazing. And we've, over the 30 years, learned from Gerald and David. But just start looking at people's anatomy. All right, I got, I got to jump in on this one. So in the clavicle, you've got, uh, let's, let's take a, a fractured clavicle. So now they break it, and and now it changes that angle. And then they get, if they don't get surgery, it's going to have one angle. If they do get surgery, they put that plate in there, and now it just totally changes all the range of motion, but it doesn't affect the other side. What adaptions do you make on that on those two scenarios? Good question. Uh, that's a great question. So, a clavicle, if you break mid, it's really not going to affect the, the, the AC sure. joint. It'll affect a lump here, calcium, you know, callus, all that here, really not going to affect that angle. You can look at the other angle as well. We're pretty symmetrical. We had, we do have some asymmetries. Okay. Um, but it's really not going to change overall the angle from the sternal notch to the AC joint. It might change the depth angle a little bit, but I would look at the other side as well. It's a great question, yeah, Terry. But it, it will change the way the clavicle rotates. So when you do bring that arm back, that clavicle has to rotate. It'll change that. So how do you make the adaptions to that? Because so, now you're locking in that clavicle and you're locking in either by the fracture healing or you're locking in by a piece of metal. So you have to change the angles that they bench or change because it's not rotating to keep up with the, the humerus anymore. It's a great question. Injuries change everything. 
And at that point, you have to adapt and, and really get a lot of feedback from the athlete as to what feels good. And we have to actually see him in the movement. So we can, we can look at him, go ahead and do a bench, and we can see what's doing here, what's happening here, and then we can make an adjustment. Well, so, so you can change the route. Now, would you, so like with any injury, you're going to adapt to the weakest point. And then, but you can use that lever system. It probably helps quite a bit determining that pre and post. Huge. Yeah. Huge yeah. in rehab. Yeah. In rehab. Huge. How do you guys determine what actually is a long femur, like what, or a long, or a long tibia? Like, what is it? What is it compared to the other body parts, or is there a standard? Is you so so you're measuring the yeah. femur to the tibia. You're looking at the ratio, the length of the femur to the tibia. David has an even segment length. He's a two foot jumper. He was a great catcher. Squatting did not bother him. Tremendous leg drive. Even segment guys have different mechanical leverage than a guy. I'm long short. I'm a long femur short guy. Okay? So I could backpedal well, change the direction very well. I wasn't necessarily a Usain Bolt who's got a short femur long tibia. I was quick, not fast. Okay? But we are measuring. You're looking at the femur relative to the tibia. So it's per individual. Per individual. Yeah. I see. But is is there, are you applying a ratio if it comes really close? Are you looking at, well, the femur measures this length and the tibia measures this length and then. That's a good I mean, question. I, I think if, they, if, they, if, they're within, if they're within a quarter of an inch, they call it pretty much even. Yeah. Yeah, I think half inch longer than what we found over the years. Then we would say that individual has a little longer femur, a uh, little shorter tibia, and they might have some crossovers as well. Uh, I have an athlete who's a good foot, one foot jumper and two foot jumpers. Your high, your high jumpers typically have a long femur, short tibia. Okay? So they're going to transfer that horizontal force to vertical. And then the long jumpers are just the opposite. Short long. The Carl, the Carl Lewis's, the sprinters. Yeah. Okay. Your Muay Thai kickers, Marco and Pedro. Oh, short long. Short long. Short femur, long tibia. Correct. Baseball pitchers with great velocity, long short. Like oh, a whip. Over three inch difference. Think, think of a whip. Long, humorous, shorter lower arm. And that whipping action. Hmm. And again, hold on, hold on. Go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. I was going to say, when you three inch difference, you mean three inch lo longer, three inch longer, humorous, humorous than so. So, what sports with a short femur, long tibia? What sports would those uh, people with with those combo uh, excel at? And and what sports flipping that? Would accelerate it. Good great question. Great question. And I'll just say we're not talking about fiber typing, right? right, right, right? right. Red just, twitch, white twitch, glycolytic anaerobic, just looking at levers. Yeah. But our, our our 25 years in doing this, typically your guys with short long, you're you're gonna have some speed, you're gonna be sprinters, track, you're gonna be a, 
uh, probably a striker on the football, on the soccer pitch. Okay. Um, and long, short would be cyclists, guys that are quick feet, infielders, um, change of direction. Yeah, uh, that's cool. That is very cool. What about Spencer that's short, short? <laughs> well, I, I, we've seen Spencer. Spencer's very well developed and put together. So whatever he's doing, keep right. going. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, I think they refer to that, to that as yeah. a midget. Yeah, but, but you're anyway. you're, you're a mighty <laughs> mouse. You're a stocky midget. <laughs> I will bring up this. This is a fascinating study. Guys with low clavicles typically have a a, a very wide triangle trapezius base. Mm. And these guys take more concussive blows better than a guys with the high clavicle angle. Mm. Look at a quarterback, for example. Quarterbacks typically have a higher angle for overhead throwing. But their trap base is narrower. They have higher percentages of concussions. Mm. Okay? So... Yeah, you got it. You just hit Spencer's Whoa, button. This is fantastic. Okay. Is it because of neck strength, or I mean, muscle? Explain why you see that. Or what? Well, it, it, again, I wish I had some pictures to show you, but if you look at a an athlete with a zero degree angle, maybe to a three degree. Uh, Mike Tyson has a very low clavicle. Light clavicle angle. He's got a tremendous neck development. It's easier for him to develop that neck, head strength, neck strength, trap, upper back strength. And therefore, his concussive blows are going to be handled much better with that structure than a guy with the high clavicle angle. That is so cool. Yeah. That's what we have found over the years. Brilliant. Brilliant. Fantastic. Wow, I did not expect that, but that makes a lot more, that makes a lot of sense because they, when you know, concussion became the the, the uh, epidemic. Um, there was discussion later on about for every uh, increase in in uh, pound increase in strength of the neck is a like a five percent reduction in potential for concussion, and it's uh, I mean, but that that was after you know years right. after the uh, the big problem. But man, if people would have known about this. Clavicle angle seems to have such a impact on in, in so many different areas. It does. Yes, it, it really does. Pushing and pulling. Guys with these low clavicle angles are going to be very advantaged in pulling weight from the ground. So your deadlifters, guys who can clean, things like that. Um, your overhead lifting guys. It's going to be different. Everybody's got these different mechanical structural points. And, and, and the, the fun thing is to help people Learn these, implement them, and watch what happens. Any any particular resources uh, or networks or communities that you guys suggest for, especially for some of our listeners <clears throat> that are healthcare professionals, um, to connect with others that are practicing this way? Yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, we have some resources. If you, there's a Third edition of a strength anatomy book. I forget the author, but um, he's he's got he's got some pictures in there about training based on your morphology. So there's more and more literature coming out. Again, they don't have a system to 
to accurately reproduce these things, but uh, that's a book that you can look at, Strength, uh, strength Anatomy, uh, Strength Training Anatomy. Uh, I know Mike Boyle has talked uh, over the years about long femur and how guys with long femur can't squat. I had a gentleman, Aaron Wellman, called me up. He was a strength coach for New York Giants. We had a great discussion about the bio-lever training system. And and um, and he had a, a very incredible analysis that he is doing for his athletes. But uh, we had a good discussion. And um, this is a unique type. We really haven't brought this to the forefront yet. Uh, Dave and I are, are looking. We have an invitation to speak at some conventions. And we're going to start doing that. We have access to Gerald and David Riley. There's a, there's maybe a handful of guys um, that really has run with this over the past 25 years. We, we're fortunate to be two of those guys. Awesome. Yeah, I'm, I am surprised. I haven't heard more about it because it seems very, very viable. And it's been around for a while, obviously. Yeah. yeah. So... Gentlemen, we are entering this phase that we refer to rapid-fire questions that require rapid-fire answers. Either one of you could answer. There's five questions, and or both of you could answer, and it some of it has nothing to do with what we talked about, <laughs> but it makes it a little more fun and real. Sounds good. Okay, Mom, ready? Yeah. Okay, question... Question number one, if you could only recommend one unconventional health tip to your patients, what the heck would it be and why? Learn to breathe properly. People, people <laughs> yeah. don't breathe properly, so they have to learn how to do that. It's great. We've had, we've had a couple of uh, guests on that are experts in breath work. It's pretty fascinating. Very good. Very good. Number two. What is the weirdest question a patient has ever asked you guys, and how did you respond? Oh, wow. Um, you know, <laughs> is it, are you breaking a bone when you hear the noise? Oh, yeah. Right? And, and you explain that that's not the case, and we're gapping the joint, and synovial gas is leaving, and so... I, you get that a lot, a lot of misconception about the adjustment. I had a patient say, hey, Dr. Beatty, you look like you could rip my head off. I said, that's only happened twice. No. <laughs> they, they, were, they were worried. That's Good awesome. answer. Awesome. Good answer. Question number two, uh, three, excuse me. Question number three, if you had to swap roles with another healthcare professional oh. hmm, for a day, just for a day, which profession would you choose and why? Swap roles with another health profession. Uh huh. Well, I would love to swap uh, and have their ability a neurosurgeon. Ooh. I think that would be incredible because the nervous system is the key to everything. Mm. And I, I would probably say a cardiologist, uh, a cardiovascular surgeon, looking at the heart, uh, that muscle that never stops. Those yeah. are cool. Cool. Fascinating. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Question number four. What is your go-to self-care practice or maybe guilty pleasure when you need to unwind after a hectic day at work? I get a, uh, I get a, a um, monster and go to the mountain. Oh, really? Yeah. 
I've got a 150-pound dog called a Borble. He's, his name is Leonidas. Oh, my. And I have a Borble, and I take this guy in my backyard. We, we make a fire. And we just look at each other for about 30 minutes, and we unwind. I have goosebumps. That is the most phenomenal animal that I've ever seen in real life. Yeah. Because they're meant to kill lions. Well, they were trained to defend farms from lions, hyenas, and baboons. These, yeah. I, I, I treated a, a, a bunch of athletes on a recovery night at one of their homes, and there was something pounding on the other side of, of a bedroom door. And I go, what the hell is that? And the, the, player, the other players go, man, you don't want to know. And I go, well, now I really want to know. He opened the door, and this, it's the biggest, it, it didn't even look like a dog. It's the biggest dog I've ever seen in my entire life. Terry, you got to pull it up. Well, on, we, we on got, online. hey, this you got to, Chris, you got to send us a picture phenomenal. of dog so we can put it in the YouTube video. Yeah. I will. Yeah. I have the warble, yeah. and David has two press of canarios, and they're tiger stripes, so they're crazy as well. I was waiting for you to say that oh, David has a peekity, and you have the big ass dog. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's got yeah. two. I have one. Yeah, no, that. that oh, well, I'm gonna have to look this dog up now because is that one of those big monster like? Uh, They're both massive breeds. Okay. His is yeah. from the Canary Islands, and mine's from South Africa. Uh, do, yeah, one thing has gotten a reputation with the NFL players, so a lot of players in the NFL have the presses. Yeah, yeah. Are, are they good with and other they, dogs and other people, or do they? You have to hold them back. If the other dog is not dominant, otherwise they'll probably kill it. Where mine, the Borbo, his his nature is. I mean, if there's somebody there and he's been trained, he'll he'll get after it. But his nature is really, really gentle and kind. And uh, but he's going to allow you to come into his house. Got it. Uh, you have to actually introduce people to the dog when they come into the house. Yes. Huh? Yeah. Wow. The player that owned this dog was like a three three hundred or two hundred and seventy five pound uh, offensive lineman, and he had to give up the dog because he didn't he couldn't handle it. He couldn't handle the dog. <laughs> but again, he probably didn't train it well, like you. Yeah. Did. Oh, thank you for sharing that. I got a thrill from that one. Question number five, and the last one: Would you rather have the ability to instantly heal any physical injury or illness? but never be able to diagnose the cause or have an unmatched diagnosis skill, but no ability to heal. Heal all the way, heal. You that know, was easy. It, 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 that movie Cocoon where we could jump into a pool of water and be 25 again, I mean, <laughs> the effects of aging has its toll and and uh, <laughs> health, health is, uh, is, is uh, our greatest asset, is it not? Yeah, You know, it's funny. I asked that sure. question to people in different uh, healthcare uh, professions, uh, without naming them, more on the pharmaceutical side, and their answers were switched. <laughs> they they rather be able to diagnose. Yeah. So it's it's interesting no. that the the chiropractor, the even some of the fit, the therapists, they wanted they didn't care about the diagnosis. They just wanted to heal. So that, it was interesting. Heal, yeah. The body is meant to heal. Where do you see uh, this instrumentation going? I mean, yes, it's a big machine. Do you see with technology nowadays that it can get to a point where you can have an app on your cell phone and just scan the person and have all the information there? That's a great question. I think we're headed toward that, uh, Dr. Terry. 
I don't know what it's going to take, but I think in the future, uh, if you could have an app on your computer, you know, that could they could do some scanning. This this could be incredible. Yeah, it's really unlimited because the the four categories are performance, rehab, uh, prevention, and just lifestyle. A guy's got a low clavicle angle. I'm going to not have him painting up here. I'm going to move a ladder up high so he's painting in front. Right. Little things like that. I mean, isn't there a way that they could take the shirt off? You could take it with cell phones and cameras now that you could take a picture and you could ha- draw those lines. And it, I mean, I, it doesn't seem like we've it's- gotten really good over the years just by looking at people, yeah. you know. That's- so um, we'll have to talk to Gerald and David about it, but uh, certainly it's moving in that direction. That's so awesome. I mean, how 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 advantage would that be? Just uh, looking at stuff from both a prevention, a, tra- a preseason, a season, a postseason training. That's that's pretty awesome. Yeah, big, big. I love it. All right, well, gentlemen, that was really fantastic. I uh, absolutely appreciate you imparting that knowledge base that I've completely been unfamiliar with, and how effective it is in the uh, identification of potential injuries uh, and in rehabilitation. Thank oh. you so much. Our pleasure. Thank Guys, you. It, pleasure, Dr. Flurry and Dr. Spencer. Thank so you. It's always nice showing off brains and, and, and their friends. So we, not only do I appreciate your friendship, but I appreciate your knowledge. So thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Kraken Backs podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Podcast. Catch new episodes every Monday. See you next time.